This episode of The Paceline is brought to you by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, so you deserve lower life insurance rates. Head on over to healthiq.com paceline and find out just how much your riding can save you on premiums. And now, on to the show. In this episode of The Paceline, we talk with Don Walker, the president of the North American Handmade Bicycle Show. Anybody can, you know, uh, trade in their, quote, clunker. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some pretty nice bikes getting traded in. They'll give them a voucher where they can, you know, walk into the show uh, and, and hand a voucher to the builder of their choice and, you know, get, act that as their, or have that act as their deposit. And we'll also talk about diets and sandwiches and how we eat when we're trying to lose weight. Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. Welcome to show number 50. We should have a little fanfare right there. What do you think, Patrick? (laughs) Well, I was going to use some sort of special effect, but that was better somehow. (laughs) In its worstness, it was improved. (laughs) Thank you for being our own personal sound effect generation machine. You know, my favorite guy on a Prairie Home Companion is, is, uh, oh, now I forget his name, but the guy who did all the sound effects with his mouth. Oh, I think that is our second Prairie Home Companion reference. Wow. Didn't you, didn't you do the, um, the what was it, the biscuit mix uh, <laughs> reference a while back? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. We are no Garrison Keelers. There is no question about that. No, no. Yeah. Um, but someday. But we someday can tell we tall tales. <laughs> we can. We'll be having Tales from Lake Wobegon, the cycling edition, someday soon. Count on it. I bet you like 98% of our listeners are going, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> Where's Michael? <laughs> <laughs> we miss Michael. And and we do miss Michael. Where yeah. is Michael? Let's ask that question. Yeah. So, uh, Michael, um, Michael's been in the middle of a job search as he's been doing much of the show for the last few months. Um, actually at this point, I think most of the show's existence and he's concluded that he really needs to focus on that job search. He's been devoting, um, you know, not crazy numbers of hours to the show, but certainly a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, it's been his expertise that has really helped, uh, make the show as great as it is. Um, and, not that the show's going to start to suck now, but he needs to focus on... Oh, but it is. Um, well, <laughs> uh, you know, we could drag it down even if he was here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's going to he's gonna be focusing on his job search, and uh, hopefully we'll get him to check in from time to time. And anytime he's ready to, to resume his duties, uh, you know, we're here and ready for him. Yeah, short version, Hottie isn't going to be around for a while, but he's... Going to come back, hopefully, as soon as he possibly can. Miss you, Hottie. Yeah. So, meanwhile, it is cold outside. Christmas is over. It's kind of the time when you would expect things to be a little bit quiet as far as the world of cycling goes. But 
a lot of interesting stuff is actually happening. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you brought up Slade Olson in the last episode, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of news, uh, a, a little bit of new news about Slade. What's going on with yeah, that? Yeah, like 72 hours later, suddenly there's this huge announcement that Chrome, uh, which is, you know, I, I think they're probably... The bike bags. Uh, yeah, I, they're sort of uh, ground zero for, you know, a certain piece of hipster culture, you know, messenger bags, um, you know, great functional clothing for people who have to look like adults. Um, you know, uh, shoes. My favorite, co- my favorite computer bag is a Chrome bag. It's just <laughs> unsurprising. A, a very, yeah, very simple, over the uh, you know, across the chest strap uh, computer bag. Simple, functional, bomb proof as all get out. Has a Levi's Grand Fondo logo uh, stitched onto it. Nice, nice. So, um, turns out, uh, Chrome is moving to Portland and their new CEO is Slate Olson. <laughs> and oh, cool. I, I, God, I would pay money to have been a fly on the wall um, or, you know, a, a wiretap on that phone call when this whole conversation got started. I would love to know how that conversation even began. I've reached out to Slate and asked him for an interview. Um, we'll see if we can get him one suspects that he might be really busy in the upcoming weeks. Um, you know, he's got kids to get into school, you know, his wife's resuming her medical practice there. Um, you know, he's moving what 500 miles away. Um, yeah, there's a chance that he might have a few things on, on the front burner. So we may not get him anytime soon, but we're going to get him. And I, I want to find out more about how all this came together, but you know, Slate at this point has uh, a truly proven track record between his history at Nike, uh, his history at Rafa, and now specialized of, you know, doing really stellar branding work. Um, And this is his first uh, stint um, as a CEO. So he's heading up the Mm -hmm. entire operation. Um, It's worth mentioning that, you know, in the early days of Rafa here in the U.S., he oversaw every aspect of that operation. So, you know, it's not like this is the first time he's had to deal with sales. Um, he has a, a, you know, a deep resume. And I suspect that this is going to be just a pretty incredible thing for an already very strong brand. Um, yeah, that's, it's great news uh, for, for him. And I would say also for Chrome, which is already a great brand. And I'm looking forward to seeing... Uh, you know how he, you know how he changes their direction, if at all, and you know what kind of changes come from that. It's, yeah, it's going to be. I suspect that times. you know the the way his talent works. I suspect what we're going to see is a refining of Chrome being even stronger at what they do, not doing mm-hmm. new things, but being better at what it is they do, uh, and that's going to be the the part of this that I find so fascinating to watch. Yeah, and you know it's funny to me, you know. <clears throat> Chrome started in San Francisco, and it's like if there's one city in the country other than San Francisco where you could base this company, oh, yeah, it would have to be Portland. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, so you're kind of seeing a Rafaization of Chrome or a Silkaization of Chrome coming up. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But, I would love to see that. So moving on, uh, moving along, you know, we've been talking about these no, new mobile bike shops, and there's another chain out there besides Velofix uh, called Beeline, and uh, they actually one of their 
company-owned uh, vans is up here in the North Bay, and I see it out and about as I'm on rides and running errands, that sort of thing. Uh, it's just been announced that uh, Beeline will now be assembling bikes for competitive cyclists, and they, you know, they carry a fair number of uh, different lines. And so this is going to be a situation where competitive cyclists uh, can ship bikes to Beeline. They'll assemble the bike, show up your house, you know, help you with the basic fit, uh, and send you on your way. And so it's, you know, it's a, I think just confirmation that this business model is going to be one that uh, is going to be a piece of what we consider the IBD going forward. It's yeah, really yeah. fascinating to me. Um, but of course. They're not the only ones. <laughs> Velofix is back with yet another uh, announcement. Uh, you know, we talked recently about how they were going to be handling Canyon bikes. They were going to be um, assembling and delivering Canyon bikes uh, here in the U.S. Well, they've just added an, uh, a couple more. Uh, they're going to be handling Eddie Merckx. Um, they'll also be doing BH, Spot, and Ellsworth. And, you know, these are all brands that have had uh, some challenges in terms of you know their reach in IBDs, and this has been a way for them to sort of short circuit uh, some of that you know available floor space. Um, yeah, you know, working with uh, a business model that I think is going to appeal to a lot of people who have maybe not been pretty wild about uh, the IBD experience. Um, you know, if there's one recurring story in bicycle retailer, it's it's how you know, the the industry isn't satisfied with the job that IBDs is, is doing in terms of getting people in the door and embracing them as, you know, new cyclists. And they keep looking at, you know, what e-bike dealers are doing, these mobile uh, uh, IBDs are doing, and, you know, then all the erosion that's happening because of online sales. And so this is this has been a way, I think, to start forcing the conversation about, well, how creative are you going to be in your effort to survive? Yeah, it's kind of interesting the way that the final mile problem that we had with Internet for so long is kind of now being reflected in um, in retail with a highly customized object like a bicycle. Right. Uh, I have personal experience with a way that this kind of can work really well. My I've talked about Racer of Racer Cycle Service, yeah. you know, who has been my mechanic and the guy I buy bikes from for a couple of decades, no lie, and how um, he recently moved into a sprinter van and now goes around doing, uh, you know, doing mobile service, and he still is a felt dealer as well. And so when I bought a couple of uh, 20, 27 and a half inch uh, bikes for my twin daughters, um you know, the bikes came to me and he built them up in my driveway. He fit them for my daughters at home and they could ride around. You know, I'm still just working and doing stuff, talking with him a little bit. It was the single simplest, most pleasurable bike buying experience I've ever had. Wow. It was just ridiculously <laughs> easy and simple and incredibly convenient and no more expensive, right? So, I mean, it was just, I think that this is something that is, you know, this is just the tip of the tip of the iceberg as far as this model going forward. I'm looking forward to seeing how things change. I think for the customer, it means big things. And for the smart, uh, your smart local bike shops, 
you know, this is going to be something where we're going to see more and more sprinters uh, or, you know, whatever vehicle they use out there coming to you instead of uh, you coming to them and, you know, hoping that you get a hold of them after they built the bike instead of while they're building the bike. <laughs> yeah, it's wild stuff. Um, I, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. I mean, it helps an operation be more lean. You know, people talk about eroding margins. So I'm, uh, I'm in favor of it. You know, I want to see, um, I want to see dealers survive, even if what it looks like changes, you know, we, we need, yeah. uh, we need actual professionals out there providing service. So if this is what it takes, uh, to, you know, to be a relevant business in the 21st century, so be it. Yeah. Interesting evolution of the industry. No question about it. So something that sounds like we're both kind of excited about. One thing I am not that excited about, though, is the Fisher bike exercise or Fisher Price exercise bike for kids. I, what the hell is going on here, Patrick? Oh my God! Well, you know, it's, what is what is the world coming to? Yeah. So the CES show is going on right now, Consumer Electronics Show, and uh, so there's there's actually currently a reason to go to Las Vegas other than debauchery. Um, it happens two or three times a year. One of those being Interbike, of course. But uh, at CES, Fisher Price is there. I, 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 you know, I'm curious. Like, is this the first time that Fisher Price has ever been at CES? Um, <laughs> I, I'm sort of. Yeah, I can't help but wonder. It's like, why would they be there otherwise? But they're showing off an exercise bike for little people, and this is being pitched as a way to combat childhood obesity. Um, and I have a moral objection to this thing. Oh, um. <laughs> well, you know, on one hand, it's like, okay, this is the wrong way to approach childhood obesity. If this is your answer to childhood obesity, something is really out of whack. Um, well, also just the simple, all the work, none of the fun. It's the new Fisher-Price exercise bike. Here, here's, here's what it's like to get on a bike but not go anywhere and not see anything. Okay, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. I I can't contest that, you know, that particular point of view. Here's the thing, though. Um, the idea of being able to have a way at, you know, 8 o'clock or, or in my case, sometimes 9 o'clock at night, have a child burn off some energy so that you can get them back in bed. <laughs> well, see, okay, I... I understand that. It's been long enough since I've had kids of toddler age that I even think that way. Um, but, you know, I still just – and I also I, – I understand sort of perhaps the flip side of that view. It's like, well, mom and dad are using exercise bikes, and we do. We have a setup in the basement. What's wrong with doing it for the kid as well? Better that they're pedaling the bike while watching TV than simply sitting on the couch and watching TV. Yeah. But it just feels like well, if you get it, if you have them riding a bike when they're young exclusively as an exercise thing, then they're going to they're associate yeah. the bike instead of with freedom and independence and accomplishment, you know, learning to balance a thing and get around and, you know, being able to hop up onto the curb. They're going to associate it with work. I, and I can't disagree with you there either. Um, I, I'm not asking you too much. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I do see one tiny li little window of, ooh, 
that could be kind of handy. Um, sure. You know, I it's obviously not the best way to burn off an excess energy at night before bed. Um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm going to go out and spend 150 bucks to get this and, and put it in my boy's room. Um, you know, it's... I, I just... You know, this is another one of those where I, you know, fly on the wall. I would love to have been there yeah. for the first conversation in which somebody said, hey, what if we, and just, you know, what were those initial reactions? Did everybody go, yeah, or or were there three people in the room going, dude, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this? Well, I can imagine a well-intentioned person thinking, you know, there's, you know, Mom is coming home from work. She's getting onto her Peloton machine or whatever it's called. And what if the kids wanting to emulate mom, if instead of this being something she was just doing on her own, you know, you're you're able, you know, you know, Junior is able to sit on the bike and do the same thing. And, you know, that there is a connection and a bond and they're doing something together. And from that perspective, you know, maybe that there was sort of a compelling a do something with your parents uh, thing. I maybe I, I and yeah. you know and that's what I what I picture in the pitch meeting happening. Just as someone who loves bikes, what I see is ride your bike, get do all the work, don't have any of the fun. And I just I don't know. To me, it just seems like a. I think it's a, a way to squeeze all of what is great about biking out of the bicycle. <laughs> you know, so. you know what this needs to be. It needs to be a plot device in the next Austin Powers reboot, so that <laughs> you know Mike Myers has put on a ton of weight and Mini Me has put on weight, and so they have exercise bikes set up next to each other as they plot their <laughs> next uh, genius evil plan. That is a terrible idea. <laughs> I, you know, there might be a future for me. I am in cranky college. today. <laughs> if this is you cranky, I, I can deal with this. <laughs> this is as cranky as I get, man. I'm a generally positive person. I tell you what, let's take a quick break and then come back talking about data. Um, <laughs> and, and we're not talking about data. No, no. Although it would be the commander data perspective from a bike let's talk about data where it fits in our lives and how much we like it or how much we don't how much we use it while we're on our bike or don't and all of that will be next on the pace line velofix is a is a mobile bike shop so the tallest and longest mercedes sprinter they make you book online and the bike shop comes right to your home your office wherever you are and fixes your road bike your mountain bike your commuter your e-bike any kind of bike you have Paceline is brought to you by Health IQ, which sources discounted rates on life insurance. When I went looking for life insurance after my son was born, I realized I wasn't getting any credit from my fitness I had gained through cycling. Now there's a company that helps you get better rates for life insurance. Whether you ride or engage in other aerobic activities, Health IQ. They've negotiated lower rates with big insurers like New York Life because it's known that people who are fit have 45% lower cancer risk, an 18% lower heart disease risk, and up to 28% lower risk of early death. We've got a special landing page for Paceline listeners at Health IQ slash Paceline. This will be in our show notes. Drop by there and you can see their research, see testimonials, and check out their quizzes. Um, like I said, there will be a link in our show notes. Now, 
back to our show. The Paceline, the podcast on two wheels, Patrick and Fatty of Red Kite Prayer fame. I'm, I'm saying that we're famous here. You, you get that right, Patrick? I, I, yeah. I, I At this point, we sort of can make a case for that. Well, you can make a case for it better than I can. Oh, absolutely. I am generally, when I go into a grocery store, one of the top three most famous people in that store at any given point in time. Only in the top three. See, I, I would have you know. figured you'd have been clearly, easily the most famous person there, even in Beverly Hills. No, we have uh, we have a local newscaster who goes to the same grocery store I do and <laughs> a very well-known checkout person. So, um, no, I, I have no idea. But except for I, I was telling the truth about the newscaster. Um, so I almost went and asked him for his autograph once. And then I thought, I've never asked anyone for his autograph. Why would I do that? That was weird. Um, <laughs> so I have a question. and and I may or may not have an answer. Pretty much unrelated to everything we have just said, and that is, which of us do you think is the bigger nerd? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we, we could carry on this as a contest all year. <sighs> yep. One up each other on nerdiness. And I would think the answer is it depends on what the topic is. But today's topic yeah. is data cycling data um i know that uh you know what you're talking about when it comes to cycling data because it was uh because of you that i switched over uh from garmin over to well so uh, actually i still am using a garmin 520 and i will be until uh i don't know until i can afford something else but um for my wife's new cycling computer she's using an element and my daughter's uh is using a lasagne and you know i'll probably use whichever one it turns out either of them is most happy with but this isn't really about reviewing the products themselves as to what kind of information you pull out of them and when you look at it we we kind of hinted at this topic in the last episode <laughs> we didn't just hint at it you know <laughs> I, I'm trying to be coy here, okay. but I think you and I, we, uh, we approach the collection and observation of uh, our cycling data during the ride, at least, very differently. Uh, I think I'm the more traditional in that I have my 520 mounted on handlebars, and I look at it uh, during the ride, each and every ride. And this time of year, when I'm on a trainer... And I'm feeling a little bit of hypocrisy now about the whole shooting down the Fisher Price thingy a while back, but it's different. <laughs> it's different because I'm an adult, um, and I I deserve punishment. Um, but the but I think that you you mentioned that you do things completely differently, and I think your case is a little bit more of an exception. So I want to hear what you do and why. Well, so as I mentioned. By and large, I don't look at data as I'm writing. I I will glance down at speed. I don't I don't need like eight numbers staring at me. Um, I wear reading glasses now, and so there comes a point at which the type is so small I just can't even see it. But um, <laughs> I now I thought you were saying that you don't even like that you carry it in your jersey pocket or in your backpack. Oh, well, when I'm mountain biking. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it goes in the, the left pocket of my hydration pack, the zippered pocket, um, and then food goes in the right one. 
And so, yeah, I don't look at data at all when I'm mountain biking. But when I'm on, you know, a gravel bike or a traditional road bike, um, you know, it's it's mounted there on the bar and I can look at as I choose. Um, Why the difference? Partly, you know, if I, if I, well, I, there's a, there's a practical consideration in that there is a limited number of mounts. I need, I just need to get more mounts and then maybe mm. I would think about putting it back on the bike. But also just, uh, if I screw up and like pound something like me or the bike into a tree, <laughs> um, I kind of want to have the, the, the computer protected. Um, I don't often land on, you know, kind of on my kidneys. Um, so there's, there has been a certain practical consideration in that, but interesting, you know, it's funny. I have to admit, I mean, if I'm going to be honest here and, you know, try to keep it real with everybody, I was actually looking at my computer a bunch yesterday on the mountain bike or on (laughs) the road, on the road bike. There's a climb near me. It's, it's the longest climb, you know, closest to me or, or yeah, the biggest climb near me uh los alamos road it's about a half hour climb for me right now although levi leipheimer did it in 15 minutes oh sure uh yeah and uh a a buddy of mine shane one of the owners uh over at the trail house uh he was on the climb uh also at some point yesterday i saw on strava uh he set a pr i set a pr his pr was nine minutes faster than my pr yeah well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's one of the fun things about Strava, right? Yeah. Is that you can go ahead and make those comparisons afterward. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that goes back to, yeah, most of the data viewing I do post-ride. But mm-hmm. I was actually looking at the computer during the ride because I was looking at Gradient. Uh, there are some unreal steep pitches in Lo- on Los Alamos. Uh, and at one point I did see 22.1%. I was on a 32.32 and, and feeling like I was just about moving backward. Yeah. But uh yeah. Yeah, so I don't I don't look at data much in the middle of a ride. I you know, it's one of those things that I'm going to go as hard as I can go and showing me a number isn't really going to make a big difference in my motivation level. Hmm. How about when you're racing? Um no. <laughs> don't um, look at data at all when you're racing. Not much. Now, I mean there have been exceptions um mm-hmm. because I don't race as much as I used to. It's easier for me to kind of get in over my head and ride above my threshold. Um, you know, you get psyched up in the heat of the moment early in a race. And uh, so I've, I've made sure that I can see my heart rate numbers um, because I, I, at a gut level, I know my heart rate better than wattage numbers in terms of, of threshold. And mm. so it's easier for me to look at heart rate as a governor and go, Oh, you're at 165. You might want to back off just a little bit. And so during a race, yes, I will sometimes look down at heart rate just to make sure that given the length of the race, I'm not going too hard right then. Back- that is so interesting. You and I are like negative images of each other in how we use and when we look at data. Yeah, that. yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the anti-hero, the guy you don't want to be. <laughs> I wouldn't say that at all. I mean, it's just what is interesting to you and what is important to you is different. Um, I, I will say that I have on my GPS a training um, display 
uh, you know, a set of fields that I look at, which is quite a large number of things, you know, from cadence to heart rate. I don't have power on my bike or I would have put that, um, you know, speed, altitude, gradient, uh, you know, total vert gained, you know, time, you know, all, you know, a pretty large array of things. For race, I have two things on my GPS. And I have done that for two reasons. Um, one, because as far as I, as I can tell, and actually from something that Rebecca Rush told me, is at least at altitude, which is where I care about my racing anyway, that your heart rate is going to be somewhat suppressed and so can kind of get in your head. Uh, yeah, uh, I should be going harder right now. It's like, well, yeah, you're not you got it because you're at you know right. twelve thousand feet. So, I, I, anyway, the two fields I show in uh, in my race mode are uh, distance and time. You know, because those are the only two things that matter to me. And also, when you're only showing two fields, they can be really big, so that even people with old man eyes like you and I have you can see those two numbers still. Yeah, you're going to be a Wahoo Element user, owner, before the month is out. <laughs> I, I, I give you the just, Valentine's Day. I, I set up uh, my wife's Element, which is what I gave her for Christmas. Um, and while monkeying around with that, I was so jealous. Oh, man. just I, I grasped it immediately. The setup was instantaneous. Holy smokes. You know, we need to do a segment someday about the rise and fall of Garmin GPSs, because if there has ever been a tragic story, it has got to be uh, Garmin and their bike GPSs, because they created, defined, and made, uh, you know, had miraculously great devices for a while. And now, um, boy, I don't know. We, uh, th- there's a lot to talk about there, and I really do believe we ought to. Well, we could do know, chapter one on Polar and then chapter two on Garmin. Yeah, you know, I, we really should. Let's, uh, yeah, let, let's make a note to ourselves, or someone please remind us because we're too old and we won't remember. But the, <laughs> we definitely need to do a whole show on, uh, on bike computers because you know that's an interesting story for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, anyway, so that's that's how I look at data, and as far as the, um, as far as observing and collecting it later. Um, I, I look at stuff later, but mostly I'm just interested in how I'm doing against um, the close friends that I follow on Strava. I'm not too interested anymore in whether someone has the um, whether someone has the KOM. There, there's enough fast guys and pros who do uh, my road rides. The tour of Utah comes through and does most of the climbs near my neighborhood, and so you know I'm not even in the top zillion anymore for most of the climbs that matter to me (laughs) but i'm interested in my own prs you know and whether i've done better right than you know this year than last year Uh, generally i did i seem to be getting slower as i get older how weird who would have (laughs) expected that to happen um but yeah 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 but i i do notice on my mountain bike that i look at my data more often and i look at my data you know basically anytime i stop i take a look i'm like oh so how much how much climbing have i done so far you know just any of the you know at the top of a climb i love to look and see oh wow so much climbing for so little distance and it's you know it's kind of rewarding to look at that in the middle of a climb 
the time only time I don't look at my computer at all on a ride is in the middle of a lung busting eyes crossed uh, you know sweating you know water dripping off my nose onto the screen of my computer climb on the road where I am absolutely so at the limit the numbers no longer make any sense to me right. and I, I don't mean that in in any kind of hyperbolic way at all where you know language is kind of you know at the fringes of my brain and math is not going to happen and I really don't even understand how much have I climbed what speed am I going and I don't want to know all I know is that I am dying yeah and I mean I've (laughs) joked that I've gone so hard I couldn't have told you my own name Mm mm-hmm so yeah yeah, that space yep yep and that's kind of a cool place to be and that's something we really ought to be talking about sometime is the I've never you know what what is happening in your brain when you are at your limit and why do we seek that out that's that's a topic for another pace line absolutely let's do that yeah all right we're 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 lining up our whole year (laughs) yeah there we go there will be an episode 51 and 52 gang hooray (laughs) (laughs) we're not out of ideas yay We, we come up with our ideas for the pace line, during the pace line. Everyone, welcome to the editorial board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, all right. Well, you know, on the subject of data, or not, and winter, and getting faster, or not, let's talk about what's going on in my world, which is diet and discipline and lack thereof and getting it back. And your and challenge. And the challenge I'm doing in response to the fact that my body has gone completely to hell during this last winter. Um, I, how, much, how much does your weight vary from, you know, lowest to highest, Patrick? I've, I've had, in the last 20 years, I've had a 19-pound range that I've worked within. Hmm. That is, that is not half bad. And... In a typical year, how much of a fluctuation is there? Um, I I'm going to go with less than I would like, Alex. Um, really? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, I'll always pick up uh, a few pounds in the winter, um, but I really sure. I won't always get all of that weight off and more, you know, in the season. So. Okay. You know, during the move, I got up to 169 pounds. My old race weight was 150. Um, I think I was hmm. probably strongest at about 153. Um, you know, I got down to 157, 156 uh, this past summer, and I think I'm at 159 right now. And I, you know, if I could oh. get down to 155, 154, you know, maybe a little lower this this coming season, I'd be I'd be happy. I'd be happier if I was 157 right now. Um, but yeah, getting the weight to come off me, it ain't easy. Uh, well, you don't have a lot to get rid of, to be frank. Um, I, you know, my mother was I, a bird. I mean, I, you know, it's yeah. like there's, I have hollow bones. There's not a lot to me. It's mostly fat and bone. <laughs> I don't know what my composition is, but I know that there is more of it than there ought to be. Uh, on January 2nd, I weighed myself for the first time in a few months because I had not wanted to see what the bad news was. And the bad news was, on January 2nd, 179.8 pounds. 
and I'm five foot seven. And, you know, for a normal not cyclist person who, you know, just, you know, is in his, you know, the beginning of his 50s, you know, that's probably not such a big deal. For me, it was a big deal. Um, That was about the weight that I started the Fat Cyclist, (laughs) my my old blog, fatcyclist.com. And um, I, so I've gone on to egg whites and avocados, high protein, high fat, as my, uh, you know, four out of five meals per day regimen. Uh, you know, that's basically five egg whites and a half avocado on top of it. And I, I do that because I like it. And it's very few carbs with um, then uh, carbs e- either during or just before a longish effort on the bike. And I'm still, I'm still just on the trainer. I've got another week or two before I can get back outside post-surgery, but, um, I, I am now back at about 90, 95% intensity. So I'm, I'm getting close. I feel, you know, I feel like I'm doing normal there, but holy smokes, I have such a, fl- uh, such a fluctuation. My, my fighting slash racing weight is about 155 pounds. So that is what? 25 pounds yeah. variance since last year. Since August, yeah, yeah, yeah. People have told me in all seriousness, it's like, dude, you have you have an eating disorder, and it may be true. You know, I I don't know. Um, it is one. I, if it is, if I do have an eating disorder, you know, I'm I'm a functioning eating disorder guy. <laughs> yeah, you're you're a functioning eat- eataholic. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I wonder if there is. I mean. I either have remarkable discipline, which is kind of the phase that I'm in right now, or a reaction to to the remarkable discipline that I've exhibited for the last X months by having no discipline whatsoever. Where you know the the wife and I are going out for sushi twice a week, and you know I'm not I'm not talking good sushi i'm talking more of like oh you know the vegas roll right <laughs> where they where they deep fry the sushi <laughs> oh dude the, the, I, and i mean that's kind of my thing it's like you know the, the vegas roll is the double wide trailer of sushi <laughs> and it, it is my very that. very oh. that's my favorite roll it's my favorite roll so anyway um i okay so now let's let's i mean you're mr data um uh-huh Okay, how many calories roughly were you getting in an average off the wagon day? You were talking about sandwiches and more sandwiches. You, yeah, you know. I, I love carbs. There is nothing I like quite like a, a good sandwich or uh, you know or a wrap with a nice big tortilla. Uh, I I love bread. I love bread more than any other kind of food, and that's that's really my downfall. Right, I eat. My carbs, my carbs consumption is way out of balance to my protein and fat consumption. I understand that, and it's just what I like. Okay, right? so and I mean, were you know, we talking like a bad day with seven thousand calories or five thousand? No, or? no, no. I, I, I don't really eat tons of calories, and my, and I am no dietitian and no nutritionist. But my understanding is that those kind, the calories is 
a red herring. The for year, you know, for decades, we've looked at calories as the measurement of what nutrition is and whether you're going to gain weight. Mm-hmm. But it has more to do with the balance of calories. Like what, where are your calories coming from? Are they coming from simple sugars or lots of uh, you know highly refined carbohydrates, or are they coming from fats and proteins? I'm probably I'm not exactly sure what the number of calories I am eating right now is and i've lost five pounds in the first week and those first five pounds always go real easy um but i haven't shifted the number of calories i'm consuming all that much i've just shifted hard away from carbs except for when i am using carbs to be you know to be on the bike for an extended period period of time and i don't want my energy to crash through the floor while i'm riding okay I mean, that makes good sense. I gave you no numbers, did I? No. <laughs> it's because I really don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. That was so a I, heavy sigh. <laughs> well, it's like, okay, what <laughs> question do I try to ask? So I get, I mean, I, I want people to have some sort of picture of like how much you would eat in an off the wagon day. And then, mm-hmm. you know, what you're eating in an on the wagon day. We, you know, I want, oh. I want to get some sense of what that difference is. Here's what the difference actually is. It is what is happening between meals. It is how I am snacking, right? I am. I work at home like you do, and my office adjoins the kitchen. And in the and my wife makes homemade bread, which is just <laughs> you know an, an, like killing me because the smell of homemade bread is the single best smell in the entire world as far as i'm concerned and so i would just go in and carve off a slice of bread and you know the thickness just depending on my mood or randomness you know where the knife landed and you know a little butter and uh the good folks at honey stinger recently sent me some of their very delicious organic honey and i mean it's I, I like all honey, but this is exceptionally good, delicious honey. And I put that, you know, put slather some of that on, and I eat that, and I am not even necessarily thinking about the fact that I am just right now consuming 200 calories of carbs. I'm just doing it. It's like, oh, snack. You know, I'm thinking, right? Right. I got a problem in my head, and I've got food in my mouth. And <laughs> it's, you know, and, and, you know, I'm thinking about the one without considering the implications of the other. When I am being super focused, like I am right now, then I still head into the kitchen. The difference is that I, you know, you're gonna leave a lettuce. I, well, no. Before I before I start carving that bread, I'm like, oh yeah, I can't do that right now. And then it's either okay, I'm gonna go ahead and crack some more egg whites into a pan. Or I am going to turn myself around and sit back down because I don't need to eat. I'm just eating out of reflex or habit and, you know, basically exercising self-control. It's the, you know, this versus that every single year. Wow. It's (laughs) time. This does sound like I'm in, like I am uh, in a, uh, I don't know, group therapy kind of situation. <laughs> it's a podcast, not therapy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a lot cheaper and almost as effective. 
Uh, well, yeah, and funnier, that too. That should be our theme. Yeah. <laughs> that might be our first sticker. <laughs> we finally got a tagline. No, wait, that, that's a podcast on two wheels, which I still don't understand. I've never seen a pace line with two wheels. Unless you had a very small pace line of two unicyclists. Well, I was just going to say two unicyclists. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, We're off track. Wow. I, you know, but I mean, dude, if I lived in your household, um, I'd probably be 200 pounds. I mean, fresh. That would be so adorable. <laughs> the Stafe puffed Patrick. You'd be like the Pillsbury Doe Patrick. <laughs> Yeah, I, it would be it would be uh, sort sort of almost formally adorbs. <laughs> you know, um, the thing is, um, what does work for me? And you know, I, I kind of laid that out. But the reason that I am able to lose weight at a pretty quick clip is because when I'm doing this, my wife does get on board with me, uh, and. Well, you know, you know, does that she mean she stops homemade... making bread? No, but it means that <laughs> she it, she she eats more carbs than I do, but she also is double training. She is working on a half marathon and uh, that she has coming up in later in January as well as, you know, she always has some some run or another coming up as well as her training on the bike. So she frequently does double workouts and so she, you know, she cruises through calories and so she eats a little bit more carbs because she needs to but she is um she what we're having for dinner changes and we both go to bed hungry and grumpy and understand each other when we're doing this and so you know the solidarity really does help if you have someone to be doing this with it helps and that actually gets me to the final part in our diet segment and, you know, the fatty's perpetual dilemma, as I like to think of it. The reason I was able to do the blog for 12 years was because I, I am Mr. Roller Coaster as far as weight goes, but the, what I'm doing right now is a contest with a couple of other guys who also have right around 20 pounds to get rid of, to get to their race weight. And the plan is we each have to post on Facebook Every single day, our weight, and every Friday, there is a weekly weigh-in where you check against your targeted weight for that Friday. So, you know, every Friday, you have to set a target how much you're going to lose. And if you don't hit that target, if you have not hit that target on Friday, then you owe $100 split to the other two people in the in the contest. So you can, every every week... There is intense accountability, so you cannot have a slough week. You can plan during the week, like this up this upcoming week, I'm giving myself a pretty small amount to lose because I'm going to be traveling for work. And I know that if I can just hold a level for this week, I'm doing pretty good. But by <laughs> April 1st, I need to be at my race weight, which is I'm saying 157 pounds because I know just by the fact that I am doing longer miles and more intense miles and basically getting ready for my endurance season, I'm going to lose another couple pounds just because of the amount of riding that I do. And I will be at 155-ish by the time I do Crusher and the Tusher and the Leadville 100. So that is the plan. If I do badly, 
I can lose hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I think, I mean, if I missed every single target, it's like $2,900 this thing is going to cost me. Oh However, if the other gosh. guys do badly, then I could make a ton of money. And that's kind of what I'm hoping is that these guys are going to, A, be good for their money, and B, be really bad at their diets. And this could be my new income source. <laughs> I'm, hey, this could be my new business model is find people who have a lot of money and want to lose weight but are terrible at doing it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I suspect that that's a growth industry. Yeah, yeah. I think I just described uh, the Jenny Craig model, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, hooray. Please don't sue us, Jenny Craig. Advertise with us instead. Yeah, really. We'll take your money. We'll take your money. All right. Yeah. So I think that that is enough about about me and my and my diets. Let's move on to uh, things of of much more interest to those of us who love beautiful bicycles. So earlier this week, I did an interview with Don Walker the director of the North American Handmade Bicycle Show. I wanted to check in with Don uh, and see, you know, what he's learned about some of the bikes that are going to be exhibited at the show. Um, I've been seeing some little stuff here and there on Facebook, and I figured, you know, Don's talking to these builders every day. He probably knows more about what's up. So uh, we got on the phone. So I'm here with Don Walker, uh, the CEO, president, chief boss man, etc., of the North American Handmade Bicycle Show. Uh, Don, thanks for coming on the show with us. Um, I've been looking forward to catching up with you with what's up for NABs in 2017. Howdy, Patrick. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, dude, it's been too long since uh, since we've really gotten to talk much. Um, oh, man. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been hearing some rumblings from builders here and there about stuff that they're getting primed for the show. And I want to ask you, since you're the person who's actually in contact with these people even more than I am, what are you hearing? What are people going to be bringing to the show this year? <sighs> wow, Patrick. I mean, that, there is such a broad uh, spectrum. I mean, it, with that every year, it's, it's you know, a broad spectrum. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I talked to four or five people in the last day or two, uh, and just going, Hey, what, you know, what's, uh, what do you got special? Uh, and, and we all know Eric Norn from Peacock Groove, right? Yeah. Uh, I talked to Eric and Eric, uh, ended up winning the people's choice, uh, at the Philly bike expo with this particular bike. It was his Prince purple rain tribute. Yep. Uh, and that is coming to NABs, and that's, uh, I got a chance to see that bike uh, firsthand when I visited the show, and it, it was a, uh, a beautiful, well-executed, well-built bike. Um, just everything on it was, uh, just the, all the details were fantastic. Eric said that's not even, you know, probably his top dog for the show that he's oh, uh, bringing either. I saw yeah, photos of the Purple Rain bike, you know, coming out of uh, the Philly show. I did see photos of that, and uh, I sent him a little message, and I, I told him point blank that if he didn't bring that to NABs, I wouldn't speak to him again. Um, it's a pretty special bike. And, you know, I got to say, that was the bike that made me go, oh, this is why Don has always wanted a Best Theme Bike Award. That bike really has a theme. There have been a lot of bikes where it was like, 
okay, the the theme is, you know, and I wouldn't really get it. Um, you know, I, I mean, like you had to explain to me the Highlander bike. I love the movie Highlander, um, but it didn't really sink in when I first looked at that bike that it was a tribute to that film. You know, once someone explained yeah. it to me, it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. Nobody needs to explain the Purple Rain bike, you know. Right. Explanation right. unnecessary. Um, yeah. But you say Absolutely. he's got something else that, that's going to be specialer. Well, I mean, you you remember a few years back. I mean, Eric's a, a, a big time film buff. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. He's 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 really into 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 cinema and, and movies, and you know, not just campy movies, but you know, he did that uh, uh, Evil Dead bike a few years ago. That's right. Uh, and even Bruce Campbell uh, saw it online, uh, and and you know, like had given him a shout out a few different times. Well, I had But heard about uh, that. Eric. Eric is is actually probably going to outdo himself on this one. He told me he goes Mad Max, and then I was <laughs> I'm like, in. "Whoa, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in." All right, <laughs> I yeah. Want, I want a combination uh, bicycle, chainsaw, guitar, flamethrower. <laughs> the latest Mad Max. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah. moving right along. Um, I saw some photos of a full suspension plus tire bike from Funk Cycles. Um, oh, yeah. You've been in touch with them? They're, they're coming? Yes. Yep. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. I talked to, uh, to Matt last week and uh, we, were, we were talking about, you know, hey, what, what, what do you got this special? He says, oh, man, this full suspension plus bike. He, he goes, it's going to turn a lot of heads. So uh, I, I kind of caught a few of his teaser uh, pictures uh, and, and it's like, okay. They, they've they've definitely got something special and you know uh, you know in, in the works for the show so it's looking really you know looking forward to seeing that one as well cool so cool yep I, I uh, another couple of guys that I spoke with I talked to uh, uh, Carl strong yeah uh, you know within the last few days and he says uh, he's he's bringing a bike that he actually made for his wife Loretta Ooh. Uh, yeah so that that is going to be special. I, I jotted down some notes, so let me let me see if I can pull that up real quick and tell you a little bit about it. But it's uh, it's definitely going to be. Um, is it a gravel know. bike? I mean, because lately um, he's kind of you know one of the kings of the gravel bike. That's a lot of what he's been building, from what I hear. He's definitely been doing a lot of that uh, off road stuff as well. Uh, let's see, Loretta's bike. Uh, it's, uh, well, because it's a woman, it's going to be small, but it's going to be SRAM ETAP. Oh, cool. Uh, it's going to have, uh, Mavic wheels and NV 1.0 fork and NV cockpit and will run caliper brakes and quick releases. Okay. But his, uh, his, his, you know, I think the main feature of his booth is going to be the, uh, he's got a tight tie gravel bike, uh, with, uh, 142 through axles by 12 in the rear, uh, flat mount, uh, brakes. Uh, the NV GRD fork and a triple T cockpit, uh, and he says he's planning on uh, Shimano Dura HDI2 with hydraulic discs. So we're really looking <laughs> yeah. forward to that. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. he says it's for a former employee who rides his bike uh, a lot all over the world and who uh, whose sponsor does not make a gravel bike. So that's somebody that's <laughs> in, the, in in the industry that's a sponsored rider. So one can only speculate who that might be for. Yeah, I wouldn't even know where to begin on that, so I'm, I'll be curious to learn more when the time is right. Um, yeah. Let's see. Um, 
couple of builders around here. Um, uh, Curtis tells me he's been in touch with you. Um, Curtis Inglis of RetroTech. Um, mm -hmm. You got any insight there? He wouldn't tell me anything. He's like, no, you're a judge. I won't talk to you. Um, I bumped into <laughs> him at the trail house last weekend when I came back from a ride completely frozen and my lips wouldn't work. Uh, so. <laughs> well, Curtis is one of those guys that always just seems to have, uh, you know, just his retro tech style. It's, it's that classic cruiser style. Uh, and, and, you know, every year he just, he, he elevates that particular style time and time again. And, and, and frankly, I, I, I just think he's beyond, uh, I don't want to use the word untouchable. But he's he's head and shoulders above the crowd in that style of bike, in my opinion. So what you know, what whatever it is, it uh, you know, I, I had not seen pictures of it yet. I just know that it's going to be the bomb. So <laughs> very cool. That's that's it. Uh, I talked to uh, Dave Kirk as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, y'all know Dave. Dave's coming back to the show. He hasn't been in a couple years. Yep. Uh, but he says he's uh, got a uh, a special. Uh, JK lugged bike uh, that he'll be running ETAP, uh, and he's also got a fully stainless lugged bike. Ooh! And I think it's if if I got the pronunciation right, it's uh, uh, Onesto or it could be Onesto. I'm not sure. And that will be running uh, Dura Ace. Uh, then he's also got a uh, one that will be shown raw because he's going to be entered in the best fillet competition. Of course. And really all he was saying was it's a different take on fillets than, you know, other builders have been doing. Ooh. So I think that might show a little more depth of, uh, you know, what, what is accomplished, uh, you know, with fillet brazing and uh, Dave's artistic ability. I mean, he's, he, he's one of the best fillet brazers, I think, in the world. I, and uh, certainly, you know, I... I I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what what this bike has. Uh, yeah, I mean, detail wise. So his fillet brazing. I mean, he's he's got to be in my top six worldwide. Um, yeah, you know, there. Yeah, there aren't many guys that you know you can put in that class. There's there's Steve Rex, Peter Weigel, um, uh, Chris Bishop is right up there these days. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's a really, really short list. And if he's doing something different, even for him, oh, I can't wait to get in the paddock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, I'm really looking forward to it. It's, uh, you know, he, he had posted uh, some pictures a, a few months back. I'm not sure if you saw it or not, but it was, uh, it was almost like it was, uh, uh, a web, if you will, of a fillet. It wasn't, you know, round and, and, you know, flattened out and smooth. I mean, this thing looked like it was an arch. And, uh, it, oh, it was I wonder really if that's just, like some of the work that Danucci has been doing. Oh, I, I don't know. Well, that's a that's a rabbit hole of social media that I probably shouldn't do and will promptly do this weekend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Um, there you go. All right. Now, now moving out of the show. um, there's always some fun stuff in the evenings. You know, what What do you got planned this year? What's different from when we were in Sacramento? Well, uh, based on the location of Salt Lake City, uh, you know, the proximity to Ogden and Sandy and, you know, some of the other uh, Utah towns that, believe it or not, is, is kind of the uh, 
uh, carbon fiber bicycle manufacturing capital of, of uh, I believe, almost the world as far as wheels and stems and you yeah. know uh, other components. You know, there, there, there's so many different companies that are based in that area. Yep. Uh, Envy uh, is is a, a uh, proud sponsor signing on to sponsor the show there, oh, and sweet. they will be doing a little um, a little shindig. Uh, sorry for the uh, attendees, but this is going to be a uh, uh, an exhibitor only party, uh, and then that's happening. Boy, uh, if my details are right, it's Thursday night. Uh-huh. Uh, Friday night, I believe uh, our the other sponsor, uh, local uh, sponsor is Reynolds Composites, uh, Reynolds Cycling. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. and they are going to be doing a, a a shindig as well. Uh, Saturday, we're still trying to figure out what's going on Saturday night. Okay. That is uh, kind of a question mark at this point in time, but we are working on it. Uh, but we do have the usual stuff going on. We've got. Uh, Bike rides that are, you know, going to be scheduled road and off road. Um, so we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're keeping it busy for anybody that's coming in from out of town. You know, there's going to be a, a variety of things to do. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of social aspects. Um, you know, got, uh, you know, just, just the usual nabs, uh, you know, entertainment in the evening. So you, people usually kind of break off into their, you know, smaller groups for dinner and then, you know, congregate somewhere larger for a larger group and, you know, socialize, uh, you know, after dinner. So sweet, typical, you know, typical nabs, uh, you know, weekend. Thank heaven. Yeah. I mean, the best is usually, you know, it's usually Friday night. You know, we get a, a bunch of builders and a few attendees and whatnot. And, you know, 20 people walk off to dinner and we end up having, you know, just a really lively conversation and it's funny because there will always be one or two builders there who in their booth, you know, they're, you know, they kind of just, they talk all business. Um, but then you get them out, you get a beer in them, and suddenly they just open up in the most delightful way. Um, that's when I really got to know uh, Danucci was at uh, dinner mm-hmm. uh, one night in Sacramento. And I was like, oh, this guy, it's on. This, this guy's fun. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's that's what a lot of the at- attendees got to, you know, kind of realize is, is the uh, the difference, uh, the different personalities that the builders are. Um, they, you know, they, they, they are completely different outside of show hours than they are during show hours. Yeah. I mean, they got to um, deliberately and, charm somebody when they're in their booth. But once you get them to dinner and, you know, get them a beer or two, you know, then it's... Yeah, then it's open season. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's when a lot of the you know the the, the fun stories come out and, and and are told and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been there you know uh, several times. One one of one of my favorite builders to to just just listen to uh, is uh, Roland Delasana. Roland is full <laughs> he's seen of, some stuff. Yeah. Oh man, he he's he's been everywhere that anything in cycling has happened. Yeah, and he's like a you know a history a living history book of it. Well, there aren't so but many his... guys who can say, "Well, the first bike that I built for Greg." Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, that's that's true. Oh, oh that's snap. absolutely true. You yeah. know, Roland. You know, uh, he's he's just been around. You know, I, I don't want to say for so long, but I mean, he's been around for so long. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he's he's he. You know, there's not too many guys still alive in the United States that have been building frames that long. 
uh, and and that prolific as yeah. well. I mean, yeah, there, there absolutely. Was, yeah, there, there was a period in time where he was doing three bikes a week, you know, and he had a helper doing all the finish work. So, Ooh, wow. you know, yeah, he, he used to build the early Lug LeMond bikes, right. but I'm, I'm not sure I'm supposed to, you know, give that secret away. Oh, that that's but, out there. Uh, Maybe not super publicly. Sorry, Roland. Um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, if, if, if you can get that guy out to dinner and get a beer or two in him, the stories are just absolutely hysterical. I mean, his slant or his take on the stories make it even funnier, just the way he tells them. Um, he's, he's got, it, it, I'm probably going to you know, catch a little crap for, for bringing this up, but he's got this story about Gary Fisher when he used to race you know, on the road for Roland, and they were trying to get into Mexico uh-huh. you know, for, for like a tour of Mexico or something. And it's just everything that they went through to try to get across the border. And the, the Federales wouldn't let him in because Gary Fisher had long hair. And they kept calling him a, a, a hebe. But they didn't understand, you know, what they were saying, but they figured out it was hippie. And they didn't want any hippies <laughs> in their country. <laughs> so it's, the, Roland's got this, all these stories and cycling folklore, you know, from, from the old, you know, the, the late 60s and early 70s. And it's yeah. just... It's 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 classic, man. That that guy is just amazing. So, wow, very cool, yeah. man. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm sure looking forward to it. And we've still got a couple weeks left where people who want to be um, want to be involved in the trade up program. You know, trade in a bike and be able to walk in and plunk down a deposit with somebody. There's still a few weeks left for people to act on that, right? Oh, the pros closet's going on. Yeah, that's that's a real deal right there. Uh, if anybody goes, you know, just type in nahbs.com. That'll take a take you to the homepage. Uh, at the bottom, there's a link for the pros closet trade up program. Anybody can, you know, uh, trade in their quote clunker. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some pretty nice bikes getting traded in. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, they'll give them a voucher where they can, you know, walk into the show. Uh, and, and hand a voucher to the builder of their choice and, you know, get, act that as their, or have that act as their deposit. Sweet. You know, so it's, it, yeah, I mean, you, you can trade in your old bike and boom, put in a deposit for a new one right there on the show floor. So that's, it's, that's it's, just it's, so it's cool. a great, great partnership. They're going to be having a, uh, a museum. They're going to be having a you know, museum on the show floor with vintage mountain bikes and uh, vintage uh, handmade uh, road bikes as well. So there's, you know, I can't wait to see what they bring because they, they've got such a huge, uh, you know, variety and network of, of bikes in, at their disposal to bring. You know, I can't see what, you know, I can't wait to see what makes the cut to come to the show. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, as am I. You know, I mean, every day goes by. I get you know more and more excited to see. You know, it's, it's almost like, well, what can happen next? You know, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, really excited. It, it, can, can, can I, uh, you know, tell you a little bit about what's going on with the media? Sure, sure. I mean, do we have time for that, or, we, or yeah, or we, do we, need we to... definitely have time. Go for it. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, it, for those that don't know, Billy uh, Supehorse Sinkford is the uh, NABS PR guy this year, and. He has been uh, just busting his butt uh, for you know trying to get more media to the show. I can't give you an ex- actual an absolute number, 
but let's just say it'll be the most media that NABS has ever had at it. There are two outlets that have confirmed that they will be at the show, and these are two outlets, to my knowledge, that have never been in attendance at the show before, but they are huge, huge audiences. The first one is Gear Patrol. Uh You familiar with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gear Patrol is coming. And then this is the one that just blew my mind. You know, we were on a conference call a, a, a week or two ago, and he says, yeah. And Sports Illustrated has just uh, confirmed. And holy it's like, hell, dude. holy, holy mackerel. I mean, Sports Illustrated. I mean, who, who was a kid, you know, that's probably our age, didn't have a subscription to that when they were growing up? I mean, yeah, that's, that's been the magazine of record for, for big pro sports, you know, since before I was born. Well, yeah, excellent. That's great news. That is really great yeah. news. Cool. I'm uh, really excited. I, you know, this this year is going to be a huge year. Really, really looking forward to uh, Salt Lake City. Well, any builders who haven't signed up yet need to get on it. They're, they're not going to want to miss out on that opportunity for PR. Man. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree on that. <laughs> yeah, you're you're a little bit vested in that. <laughs> I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a little vested, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it just you know like I said this the team that we've got together has just really you know done a fantastic job uh, and we're we're uh, kicking butt and taking names and uh, you know really really looking forward to uh, you know to 2017 in, in Salt Lake March 10th through the 12th if you don't mind me throwing that back in there. no I was just gonna say we need to make sure and remind people just when that is so yeah 10th through 12th March um, I know I'll be there. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I can't wait to see the builders. I can't wait to see the bikes, uh, get out, have some beers with people. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Oh, Hey, you know, you know who else uh, has got a really hot bike that's coming to the show? Please tell me. Do you know Alex Klaus of Portis cycles of Germany? No, no, I don't. Oh, oh this guy, uh, you know, he, he's an amazing builder, uh, you know, based in Germany. And he's bringing a uh, a full suspension mountain bike that he's built, and it's, whoo, it's <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. I can't wait. Excellent. I look forward to it. I mean, it's always fun when someone who's you know really good but unknown to me, you know, emerges from the shadows. You know, uh, make sure he he enters one of those bikes and awards. So yeah, um, absolutely. Oh. Cool. Absolutely. Hey, did uh, the press release hasn't gone out yet? But uh, did you hear that Campanola is back on board for their uh, Campanola Best Build contest? Sweet, that is terrific news. That's always a really fun one, and it's it's a great contest that you know I like to check out because I don't actually have to judge it. <laughs> yeah, that makes yeah. your job easier. <laughs> uh, you know, but it's it's fun to see an award winning bike, and it's like I didn't have to labor over the outcome, so I can kind of just go. Oh, yeah, look at that. That's really gorgeous. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the work that we do with the awards, um, but it's, it's a lot of work. Um, I sweat bullets over, uh, over the outcome. Um, and it's, it's nice to just be able to walk up to a bike and not have to think about it critically, but just, you know, kind of look at it as a rider and go, yeah, if that was in my garage, I'd be stoked. Yeah, I hear you. There's, there's, there's a lot of that. There's a whole lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I get the same way. And, you know, I, 
I'm waiting to see what happens this year um, with with my tradition of ordering a a bike from one of the exhibitors like every other year now. Yeah. So we'll excellent. See, man. Uh, see what happens uh, who, and who that lucky recipient will be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so lots of good stuff coming up for for Salt Lake. Excellent, man. Well, thanks for the time. Yeah. I really appreciate it, Don. We'll be in touch. No, thank you, Patrick. I, I'm, I'm, it's my pleasure talking to you. Always good to you know hear your voice and good catching up. And that was Don Walker, the director of the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, which will be in early March. Um, yeah, really looking forward to that, Fatty. I am chief judge, and we're going to have big fun with the awards this year, I think. It, it's always a lot of work, but a lot of fun as well. You know, I'm going to be out of town while this happens, which You're is kidding. just infuriating because it's like less than an hour from where I live. Oh, God. So I, I figured for sure we were pictures. going to have some sort of, of reunion of us. Oh, no, man. no. I, we're <laughs> never going to see each other again. Just talk on the phone. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, we got to get into the Paceline Picks. What are you doing this week? You know, in... Uh, conjunction with all of the data and navel gazing that I've already uh, discussed in this episode, my paceline pick is the Withings Body Composition Wi-Fi Scale for a couple of reasons. Um, I mean, it seems like ridiculous to have a scale that is Wi-Fi enabled, but the nice thing about that is now when I get on my scale, it automatically connects to the Withings app and records what my weight is and... Uh, then while I'm standing there, it also checks weather.com and tells me what the weather is going to be for the day. So yeah, the fact is having a Wi-Fi enabled scale is kind of nice and it makes it super easy for you to keep track of your weight data as you work to try to reinforce your good eating habits and exercise habits and so forth. And right now the scale I bought is on sale for $77 on Amazon.com. So it's not that expensive. If you've got Wi-Fi, it makes it pretty easy for you to stay uh, or to at least record your uh, weight data every morning. Now, does it just do BMI or does it do body fat percentage as well? Oh, it does everything. It does bone <laughs> composition, muscle mass, really? uh, wow. percentage of water. I have no idea how accurate it is, and I kind of suspect that since the only thing it's really doing is sending a small electrical current up through your feet, um, how accurate it can be. Uh, smart people uh, who know their business about this say the best way to check your fat percentage is to use calipers, you know, go yeah. fully old school. And I believe that, and I just look at this not so much as an accurate measurement, but still uh, to see trends happen is worthwhile. Yeah, and it is a very accurate scale. Yeah. So I'm, and that's what I bought it for. Yeah, and I gotta say, you know, being able to keep track of of that data historically, you know, is really useful. So I, you know, Wi-Fi connected makes good sense to me. Yeah, yeah. and then the the Withings. Uh, Withings actually has an API, so this data can be propagated out to other things that you care about as well. So if oh, your weight grief. is a component of Strava and so forth, yeah, it'll do all that too. So, um, <laughs> wow. okay, everything's connected to everything, man. <laughs> okay, so this week my pick is cyclist Robert Marchand, uh, or for us Americans, Robert Marchand. Uh, he is the one hundred and five-year-old cyclist who just set the hour record for the 105-year-old and older set. Um, I, I mean, this guy 
That's fantastic. You know, and the the thing is, you know, people are like, oh, this guy who's 105 years old, you know, rode 14 miles in an hour. And it's like, you know, that's cool. But at a certain level, I mean, he's 105, man. This guy is amazing. He was on the front line in Amiens in the First World War. Okay. He was born in 1911. That means he was a child. He was a child on the front line. Um, he was a prisoner of war in World War II. After the war, he went to Venezuela. At some point, he got uh, he got fed up with being a lorry driver and a sugarcane planter. And so he went off to Canada to be a lumberjack. Um, and then in 1960, he... He returned to France and he basically spent the rest of his working life, another 27 years, um, as a gardener and a wine dealer. Um, I, I would be fascinated to talk wine with this guy. But, you know. Or anything. Holy smokes. Yeah. This guy is a living treasure. I yeah. mean, just the, the knowledge and personal history that well, comes with that kind of that kind of life, not just the duration, but the variety of things he has done that's remarkable yeah and also it's worth noting that you know this guy rode at a super high level during the prime of his life so in Mm -hmm. 1946 at age 35 you know point at which most cyclists had ended their pro careers you know in as much as they had one he was seventh at the grand prix de nation um, wow. I mean, that that's like the premier individual time trial that there's been for pros for ages and ages. Um, you know, at some point um, post-war, he gave up cycling, but started riding again in 78. And so this is actually his second hour record. He did one hmm. uh, back in 2014 where he covered uh, 16.732 miles um, in an hour. He's a little slower now, but... You know, he still rides. Aren't uh, we all? Yeah. Um, <laughs> apparently, he rides a trainer every day. You know, it's just part of what he does. Um, and so, you know, yeah, he's my pick. And we're going <clears> to, <throat> pardon, we're going to have uh, a a video of uh, a portion of his, uh, his record-setting ride uh, in the show notes. Fantastic. Yeah. Kudos and you know, tip of the hat, bow of the, you know, a bow from each of us uh, in awe and honor of this amazing man. So yeah, great pace line pick. I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of the pace line. If you haven't subscribed, please do. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We are on everything. iTunes you can't get away from us. I, iTunes, the single iTunes easiest twice. place rate and review us for crying out loud it makes a difference and it helps other people who are cycling enthusiasts find us and that matters so for patrick for myself thanks for listening to the pace light c'est le premier record du monde des plus de 105 ans monsieur robert marchand <laughs>